Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our Senior Pastor, Darren Tyler. And we are continuing our What's True About You series. And this week, we went yet another round into Romans chapter one. Yeah, sometimes you just can't get enough, right? When you're in a prime rib dinner, you just keep stuffing. <laughs> just keep coming. Keep stuffing and stuffing. Like uh, one of those like Brazilian meat yes. restaurants. This was, uh, this was the meat sweats. <laughs> Of it. <laughs> Romans chapter one. We'll just the, Romans in general is a bit yeah. of the meat sweats, if I'm saying. True Being story. Honest. True story. Brazilian meat. Uh, what are they called? Steakhouses. Steakhouse. Atlanta, yeah. Georgia. Okay. Circa 2005. All right. Uh, it's Cutlass Disciple Me. Uh, I want to say a couple people from William Morris Agency. And I definitely remember Sugar Bear was there. Otto Price. Otto. Shout out to Otto. And, um, Something we had eaten at the festival earlier that day did not go well. Oh, no. Atlanta Fest. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can say Atlanta Fest. It wasn't Chuck's fault, probably. It wasn't Chuck's fault. Uh, but it hit all at the same time at this. Oh, no. And by the way, this was a nice. Oh, it was. I know why that. Because William Morris was paying for it. That's why we were there. That's why it tasted great. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, but it was literally like a comedy, a parade of, uh, of rock and roll musicians running to the bathroom from their <laughs> earlier in the day moment. And they'd come out like with sweat all over oh, the no. And there was some poor nice guy. Because uh, it, was, it was a nice enough place where there was a guy in the bathroom handing out towels oh, wow. and combs and stuff. Expecting and, a tip. Yeah, well, I actually went in there a little bit later and handed him a 50 and said, Hey, bro, I just, I'm so sorry for what happened here today. <laughs> I don't know. Bit of a crime scene in these years. You hear them on the radio, but can we not talk about this? And, you know, but now it's been 20 years. So what do I care? Anyway, so hopefully that didn't happen on Sunday, but we definitely had some, no. uh, some Brazilian meat uh, house stuff going on. Well, it's it's just a deep chapter, and it's a deep book. And we've known this, and we've talked about this kind of going into this series. There's a lot to talk about, and it's it's seemingly impossible. It's probably doable, but to do it justice, I mean, there's just a lot of information to try to comb through in chapter one in just one week's teaching in a 30-minute palatable yeah. session. Yeah, and it, I think that... Um, and it's tr- it really is true that there's people that, um, especially progressive liberal Christian world, though the we uh, we know better now than the Bible, they like to throw Romans out, and they and the main reason they like to throw Romans out is Romans one, uh, a little bit of Romans two, but mostly Romans one, and specifically in in, in regards to sexuality. Right. Um, the problem with throwing Romans out. Is then you throw out saved by grace, you throw out the you know the gospel, the whole you know. There's a lot in Romans, and so you're literally trying to you have to throw this whole book out just to get rid of these two verses, and you have to ask yourself, was Paul wrong for you know 16 chapters, and he just happened yeah. to miss up these few verses, or is this part of this greater uh, picture? And so I you know I definitely as we as we talked, we prepped and prayed and felt that it was important to not just gloss over uh, this because it's 
this was relevant 2,000 years ago. That's what we said the very first week, right? That this is a relevant book even to today. It's timeless. Yeah. It's universal. And this uh, this chapter is, especially these last few verses we went through again, very much relevant to where we are in our culture like right now. Yeah, I mean, you can't help but not look too far uh, into culture and the messages that are being shoved in our face uh, across all mediums to see that uh, – there's a bit of a depraved mind, depraved mindset mm-hmm. in culture and in our world. Um, these are messages that that are hitting uh, all age ranges too. Like this is a this is a bit of a cultural shift even in America over the past five to seven years for some of these topics. Yeah, when you think about it, um, so Conduit has been a church for eleven years. Eleven which is years, super weird yeah. uh, when you think about that. Eleven and a half. Um, but even in just our time here, the culture changed. Like it just changed. Like uh, we were talking earlier, but the, like a, a show like The Office could not be made today. Yeah. Because the culture changed. And I promise you, we all sat around all kinds of people for on airplanes and you know for for decade whatever. And no one watched The Office and thought, oh, this is cult- This is offensive. This is this is. But the culture changed, and. It actually, from what I can see from this, is why it's even more important that this is timeless and universal and personal. Because if we're letting culture dictate our morals, you have to ask who, uh, which culture gets to win. Uh, there's some stuff in China that is 100% culturally acceptable. Um, enslaving Uyghur Muslims being one. Uh, there, there are things in uh, Middle Eastern culture that are culturally acceptable. And why do they not get to be the ones? You know, why are our women not wearing head coverings all over? Because if their culture wins, that's what's about. You know, that's what happens. Um, and in our own culture, what we figured out is that when culture tells us there is no Mister Culture that you call, and he makes the judgment call. That's like this weird nebulous decision that somehow gets made, and nobody knows who made it. And now, a word that I could say at this point, and now I can't say. And it's based on whether you offend me or not. So it's literally all, you know, uh, all bets are off. So we don't even know. So, but if there's some sort of a, a morality somewhere, which we're actually going to talk about this coming Sunday a little bit, um, there must be a morality somewhere that comes from beyond time, that comes from beyond culture or history that can tell us what is right and what is wrong. And Romans 1 kind of lays that out pretty perfectly for us from uh, the, just the story of fallen man in general. You entitled this week's teaching Designed for Desire, and uh, you specifically were in verses 18 through 32, the back half of Romans. W- why did you land on that specific title for your teaching? Yeah, that was, um, as we looked at it and we studied it and we were doing our sermon prep, I just kept coming back to that. He turned them over to their desires. Uh like so, we have desires that are actually uh, they're good for us. Like, I desired to eat breakfast this morning, but that's my body needed me to eat breakfast so that I could fuel for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, now that desire can go wrong uh, when I have a second breakfast, right, and then lunch, <laughs> and then second lunch, and then dinner, and then second dinner, and like, sure. uh, b- because the desire when it's out of whack um, can lead me astray. But at the core of it, we are like we're. we're born with desire and it's actually not a bad thing and that's the uh, the, the point of that whole idea was that the, the word that 
Paul uses is this uh, this Greek word epithumia that uh, we really don't have a word for it in our English language. Um, so you'll see it like lust or evil desire, and uh, but it's je- it's the closest we could say is like so it's like a the etymology is like epi is. Uh, like an inordinate, like a strong, but not like a, I was really hungry when I woke up strong, but like a, my life is over if I don't get this kind of desire. Like I can't sleep if I don't have this kind of desire. Like it's an inordinate right. weight on it. And and the, the important part of that is so like when Jesus uh, was getting ready to eat the Passover with his disciples, he said that I, uh, I've lusted. It's one of the, the, I think the King James actually says lusted. For this, which is kind yeah. of like a weird word when you're a teenager, going, well, Jesus was lusting for dinner? Like, that's right. a weird right. thing. Like, I don't know what that I've never read about that before. But he, it's the word epithumia, and it just means that I've really strongly desired to have this uh, dinner with you. So it's not in and of itself a bad thing, uh, the desire, or even what you're doing with, you know, the desire. Like, it's, um, so, so like a desire for uh, sex with my wife. Now, I'm 50 years old, uh, happy to report that that's still working. Um, good desire. Uh, and that's a God-given desire inside of that context with it. Uh, epithumia is if I'm saying that my sexual desire is now, uh, I want to more of, of outside of my marriage or pornography or whatever. Like if I let that desire lead me down that, that becomes uh, the epithumia. Like I'm taking a desire and aiming it at the wrong, uh, an inordinate desire on the right thing or an inordinate desire on the wrong thing. It's the desire itself. I think I'm talking in a circle now officially. <laughs> no. I just—I literally just lapped myself on the track. <laughs> Let me reframe this. I can have a um, a good, strong desire for uh, intimacy with my wife. Okay, but if that becomes my ultimate, and if I don't have that, then my life is over. If I put that pressure on her, uh, where my meaning and purpose and everything comes, if I don't, you know. That is uh, becomes an epithumia. It's an inordinate desire for even something a good thing can then become a, a sinful right. thing. Yeah, I, I had a mentor tell me one time, um, kind of the phrase, right worship, wrong object. Meaning, we all have this desire to worship, yeah. and we have, we have, we, we we make idols of things that right. um, that we desire or that we worship, but it's and it's ingrained in us. So it's like it's the right worship, it's the right response, it's the wrong object, and the object of our worship should be should be the Lord, should be God, and um, and His righteousness. Yeah. Um. And and it's that's what I kept coming back to when yeah. you were teaching is just this. And these things are idols yeah. that are above God, and it's like. So when you're a teenager, especially, you hear something like that and think, man, why, do, why does God want that from me? Like, why do I have to, like, what if, what's wrong with me having this other desire? And in the, the, the purpose of that, God's not a glory hog. Uh, but if I put that weight of, like, my purpose, my meaning and everything on that, it literally can't bear the weight of it. Right. And so it will collapse underneath. And that's true of food all of it <laughs> of sex of like uh, if i put it on it, it it cannot bear that desire and so he actually it, when you think about the design for desire idea he's actually yeah. the, it's a gift i was literally born with a desire uh for him you know there's that famous c.s lewis quote that i'm about to butcher 
you know, if you find yourself uh, in a place where you desire things that the, 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 the something that uh, the things of this world cannot satisfy, then it's uh, logical to assume that you're designed for another world. Right. Um, and that's the the idea of this is that I was designed with that desire, and so my whole life will be spent trying to fill that desire. Uh, and and that, when you think about it, it's such a great mercy of God that the very thing that he, I'm born to desire is him, and the very thing that can fill it is him. Uh, that's actually really kind of him. Like, if I, if I fill it with all this other stuff, it's not going to work. Just the one eyes of the universe that matter can bear the weight of that. Uh, at 50 years old, I'd love to say that I get that right uh, every day. But it's it's like a daily process of, like, not putting that weight on my career, not, not putting the weight on our church, right? Like the, whether we're growing or not, or whether this sermon sucked or didn't suck, or, you know, like, <laughs> right. like the, if I put the weight of it on that, you know, so someone, I, I don't remember who said it, a theologian said that one of the ways you can figure out whether you're, you've got your worship in the wrong place is what happens if that's taken away from you? Right. Yeah. How do you respond? Yeah. You know, grieving, that's, that's, we grieve when we lose something, right? We grieve. That's, that's, a, that's healthy. But if your life is over, like mm-hmm. if my life is completely done and I can't live anymore, whatever meaning like that, it's a sign that I've got my worship in the wrong place Yes, because that could not bear the weight of it because it's temporary. Everything in this world is temporary. And what's true about you, you also talked about the knowledge of God and and pulling from verse 18 that says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Hmm. And in verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And you talked about the truth that's being suppressed is our knowledge of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, like the, when you think about it at our core, like that knowledge, uh, if this is true, the, the smarter you get, um, it, God doesn't make less sense. Like the smarter you get, God actually turns out to be one of the only things that could make sense in this. I was uh, talking with a friend who said that um, his journey of a friend, a mutual friend's journey of uh, deconstruction in their faith that he read a book called The Soul of an Octopus, uh, which I've downloaded because it sounded utterly fascinating to me. But he's reading it going, I'm reading this going that there's no way that this couldn't be somehow this had to get here. No, No evolution can account for this. And... Now that said, whenever normally when you hear that, uh, secular humanists especially will say something like, "Well, we just don't understand that. We don't, you know." Now, if you suggest that a god or a designer, intelligent designer came along, they're going to immediately say, "Well, we know that can't be it." But whether it's string theory, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's wormholes, whether it's gravity, uh, multi-universe, like you hear these people talking, and they're like they're using religious language, but refusing to like say that God, yeah. Is it? But the point is, is that the, the deeper you go into knowledge, uh, the more you come to. At some point, you have to admit that there I, I, that there is something that is not explainable in the universe. Whether it's dark matter, whether it's the Higgs boson, you know, gene, whatever. Like it's just it's there. But uh, that's why it's worth without excuse, you know. And true, whether in, in the most developing nations where there's not a lot of uh, knowledge that's been gathered, they don't have a problem looking to this guy and saying, "Well." That's amazing. Yeah, the stars at night under, you know, yeah. completely clear skies and no city lights. Yeah, 
and the smarter you get, they say, well, now that we know, well, we know that, you know, the Big Bang and the Big Bang happened when something was made out of nothing. And but so now we're right back to like something that is religious again. Right. So it's a it's a giant circle of it is obvious to us that something is there. And that's why we're without excuse. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Sebastian Younger's um, near death experience. He was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he was sharing about his near death experience this past year. He had a terrible like medical. Oh, very uh, traumatic. Yeah. Emergency. Anyways, he's talking about it and yeah, he's like trying to explain away uh-huh. uh, all the, you know, the miracles that, that uh, kept him alive and that what he was experiencing during that time, Yeah, which, which just felt like a lot of mental gymnastics for him to do so much work to cut out the possibility. Yeah that there was an afterlife or that there would be a God. Yeah. It's one of the smartest guys of our generation. Yep. It's why you find that, um, and it's really, this is really the truth, uh, that neuroscientists or neurosurgeons, uh, if you want to look for a population of scientists where there is a larger percentage of people who have come to faith, it's there. And it's because they eventually have to admit that consciousness is something that cannot be measured on a CAT scan or an MRI that at some point they have to admit that the synapses firing in here do not explain how this person in this room saw everything happening with their eyes closed. Uh, there's no synapses here, like the fire that could, that could explain that stuff. And so they, you know, a lot of them come to, to faith because of that. Um, but at the same time, those that aren't, when God says there's without excuse, like, I mean, you can almost feel it on Judgment Day going, look, guys. <laughs> right. Like you were describing multiple universes. Like you're describing time being created like you literally described all of this stuff it's not that big of a leap you know to go back to someone intelligently designed it and and at the core of it the suppressing of the knowledge whether it's a scientist or it's me is because ultimately that means that they're not in control well that's interesting if there's a god uh that created this and i'm not him then now i have to deal with that and you'll hear these guys like Dawkins go to great lengths to describe that maybe aliens seeded the planet with life. Like they'll say some crazy stuff, but it can't be that. And it, at the end of it all, it's because God, uh, a God that could do that is a God that demands uh, allegiance and, and control. And by the way, uh, deserves it. Right. Um, but that, I think, uh, at the core of suppressing knowledge by truth, I mean, it, I mean, it says it, verse 21, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks. Glorified simply means to give weight to, to give purpose, to give meaning to. And, you know, to give thanks simply is just, hey, like I, I, you created this and I didn't. And I think I said on Sunday that Tim Keller's version of that is that that's why plagiarism is so offensive to people. Yeah. Because um, it's I'm taking credit for something that he did. Uh, I'm taking credit for my morality. I'm taking credit for right and wrong. I'm saying this is, this is my plagiarism is me saying I'm going to take over this thing now and copy it and do my own thing. Um, and that God, uh, it's, it's why Romans 1 was so important to go back through it again, just if nothing else for me to hear that that God, he, that's not an option. He did not leave that as an option for me. You talked about a biblical definition of worship as well. Um, verse, verse 24 and 25, 24 of chapter 1 says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Then verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Yeah. yeah, we get confused with that because 
we think worship, we think worship music, right? We think worship record labels. We, you know, you and I made, sure. you know, we made an okay living. Yeah. You know, you're my strong tower, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> those, the, the Cutlass Boys, by the way, did not want to do that record. Uh, Who wrote that song? Uh, so Mark, okay, man, I wish I had my Google. Uh, I got it from Mark Lee from Third Day. Okay. Okay. And there was a little bit of a race for Cutlass to get it done because we were afraid the third day guys were going to record it. But Mac didn't help write oh, it. really? And so Mac didn't want it on the record necessarily. And Mac's a really great guy. He's not being petty, just to be clear. No, he's uh, awesome. But we, um, we were in a race to get it done. And uh, there was some, he was a co-write with somebody. Yeah, yeah uh, I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. But uh, anyway, all I remember, what I, here's what I remember. was We were almost done with the record, and Aaron Sprinkle, who was the producer. Yeah. And remember that dude in Seattle? Of course. Like a little mousy little guy. Uh, great guy. He was just you know, uh, kind of angsty. And, and they didn't want to, he didn't want to do that song. And we were getting to the end of the record, and they're like, well, we may not have time. You know, we may not, you know, we don't really. I'm like, look, guys, God knows I don't ask much of you, okay? But I'm asking you. I need you to get this song on the record. I need you to do it before Third Day gets it. Um, and I might not be remembering Mark right. I just remember Third Day was involved with yeah, it. Yeah, it no, it's credited to Mark Lee. Was it okay? Um, yeah. John Micah, Summerall from Cutlass, of course, and yeah. then Aaron Sprinkle. Um, oh, Aaron as, gets a co-write on that? Yeah, he got a co-write. And then Mark Bird. Do you remember Mark oh, Bird? Yeah, yeah, Common yeah. Children. I booked them in the 90s. Common Children. Man. The best record no one's heard, man. Uh, that was a great record. I was yeah. a huge fan. Yeah, you were probably like one of 14 people that bought it. You know, we were like... That was one of those records that I would have staked my career on. Mark Bird also wrote uh, God of Wonders. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I... Because here's the thing. You, Which third day cut and made famous. Yeah. You you know how this works. It's not even magic. Like, it's, when someone is hearing the radio and you hear the song come on the radio, you know it's a good song. It's not like rocket science. Yeah. It's just the discipline of listening to enough crappy songs until you can get to the right one. And so that yeah. was... We'd listen to a lot of crappy songs. But anybody that heard that song thought, oh, that's a song right there. Strong that's Tower. a career song. Yeah, Strong yeah, Tower. Yeah. So it was the last song they recorded, the last record, uh, the last that record barely made it in. And wow. uh, that was their first gold record. And again, I'm not a genius. It was just like that, you know, again, you heard it on the radio. You thought that's great. It was just our version. We heard it on the radio before someone else did. We just heard it when when uh, when Lee sent it to us. Uh, gosh, that was 2005? Probably, probably a little later than that. Was it? Yeah. Oh, geez, I guess I'm not that old. But that's what we think of worship, right? Because it's worship music. We made an entire industry around it. But that's uh, the biblical definition of worship is Romans 12, verses 1, which is uh, not sing a great song uh, that gets on the radio, but offer your life as a living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing, acceptable. This is a you know, spiritual act of worship. Which is also found in Romans. Romans 12, yeah. Paul knows what he's talking about, it turns out. So worship was just that, and um, and so we can offer our lives, and I think that's the thing that most of us are. Uh, I, I don't think I knew that when I was younger. Uh, most secular humanists would would like rebuff against it, but we're all born with the if 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 that's the definition of worship that I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice to this to get purpose and meaning out of it, um, then we're born to work. We're going to worship something, because every human is born with the need. Uh, to find purpose and meaning and to put their weight and their offer their life for that. And it's, some of it's our career. Some of it yes. is, you know, our, uh, our relationships. Um, but it's something. And the thing that is, it, it's, it's, it's literally directly connected specifically with sexual impurity and degrading of our bodies. Um, and I don't know that 
I understood it until the last few years of why, because this is the Roman culture, which resembles a lot of our culture today. Yes. That part of why sexual impurity is that is it's because we see it in our culture. It is not about the behavior. It's about the identity. Right. You know, when someone says, can I be gay and be a Christian? It's not the right question. The question is, is that my identity? That I'm gay, that I'm a homosexual, that I'm a heterosexual, that I'm a whatever sexual. If that's your identity, if it becomes the question of what am I making my identity? Right. And if my identity is anything, because that's when you when you think about that, like you're offering your life. We live in Williamson County. A lot of people, Tennessee, one of the most wealthy counties in the entire country, for sure, the southeast. A lot of people's identity is in their wealth, and so that's their identity. Um, they made that their their home, their gated thing. Their you know. Yes. And if that's your identity, that's what you're worshiping. I'm, uh, and, but but for sure in our world we've seen it now where it, it isn't anymore about I'm struggling with a sexual sin. It is I am. This is who I am. And if you are questioning that, then you don't love me and you hate me. And it's a false choice because the choice is now you're you've created an identity. Um, you've created an idol for myself. Uh, that I'm now worshiping because he talks about the worshiping, you know, the, you've created these created things. You're worshiping idols. And we, we th- I, I certainly think of idols. I, I showed a picture of Santa God from uh, Nepal. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. And those people offer their lives to him. Wow. And, and we make fun of that because who would do that? Who would who would give up their money? Who would give up their time? Who would who would risk their relationships to make this guy, Santa God, happy so that my life could go better? And the answer is we do when we do it for our career. We do it for our relationship, for our status in society, and for our sexual identity. We, we offer our lives mm-hmm. as a living sacrifice to that. And it, the one thing it does, if I do that, then it puts me in control because I'm making that God happy by doing my part, and now I'm in control and that God is not. Yeah, you, you mentioned and you also referenced you know, offering our lives as a living sacrifice to even our children. Yeah, and yeah. that's you know that's a pretty big deal um, in terms of those that do that because at some point they grow up and they move away. Like we're in the season of that at the Teeman household. Yeah. Obviously, our kids are are grown now, so we're we're about to enter into empty nesters. And so if you if you offer your lives as a sacrifice to your kids and then they they move on, um, yeah, you got some figuring out to do. You know, one of the things Joe Beam talks about is that one of the danger points in a marriage is actually when the kids leave the nest. Sure, yeah. Because now we no longer have an identity, identity in yeah. the kids. And now it's just you and me, babe. And boy, I don't know who you are anymore. Right. Or whatever. You know, I've, I've right. been so busy. And the tension, of course, is that, man, you want to you want to raise your kids. You want to, you know, with the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And But on the other hand, we don't want to put our entire weight of our identity on them because, again, those kids can't handle that pressure. They can't handle the weight of that worship of me offering my life to them as a living sacrifice, right? Right. Like as a uh, my entire purpose and my meaning. Because, you know, what happens like when your kid uh, doesn't vote the way you want them to vote? You know, what happens when your kid uh, is not who you raised them, quote unquote, raised them to be? Uh, Is your life over? With that, and the answer is if, if you're worshiping them, it is. Like, you're devastated by that. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, in loving them, we want to, there's, there's such a thing as grieving and disappointment. I certainly don't want to discredit that. Right? It's good to love our kids and to pour into them. But um, 
I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess it's the podcast. So what can they do? They can't really fire me. I don't really get paid for this. But uh, my kids, like, well, I remember when my kids were like three and four years old. They're like, man, if you don't get in, if you don't get in soccer now, you're going to get left behind, and you're not going to get into travel soccer, and you're not going to get a scholarship. Yeah. Okay. Now my kids are like older now. I got a, about to be a 16 year old as my youngest. Okay. And we got to the soccer field every freaking Saturday morning, froze our butts out, right? right? And, and we played hard, man. And you know how many kids might got soccer scholarships? Right. None of them. None did. of them. And here's the thing. It's not a bad thing to take them to play soccer, right? It's just not. But if I'm putting the weight of this on those kids, that this is the only way that you're going to get, if you don't do this, then this is not going to happen and this is not going to happen. I mean, they carry that somewhere. And... Uh, there's a, a when you start talking about travel soccer, when you start talking about some of the stuff that's happening in, in our lives right now, where they're, they're traveling all over the country and they're putting them in gymnastics meets or dance meets or whatever, and uh, it's a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on them. You know what? I mean, this we could devote a whole podcast to this. Yeah, we might. particular topic, depending on how many people unsubscribe. After right. I mean, we, if you really want to pull the pen on this, because I mean, to me, in my opinion, in my you, everybody knows my email, moaconovatrish.com. Uh, this is this is definitely an idol in our town. Yeah. Youth and, youth culture, youth sports, right. and you are a coach of a middle school yeah. football team of a private yeah. school, right? Yeah. So we are not anti sports. Absolutely not. No, right. I devoted a decade to youth sports with my kids. Yeah. Um, multi, I've coached at multiple schools. I'm coaching at a school right now. We have a game tonight, actually. Um, so I am on the front lines of this, and I see it. And it scares me hmm. because it is absolutely an idol in uh, in the parents' lives. The kids don't know that. The kids don't know that they are the sacrifice. And it's it's a scary thing to, to see how much money, how much time is devoted to to these things. The devotion. How do you see it play out mostly? Is it mostly in the money? How do you see it play out? Well, what I see it play out is one of two things: uh, burnout. Like the kids uh, resent the sport hmm. or their parents by the time they become freshmen, sophomores in high school. Um, they don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Hmm. <laughs> I would say a majority of them. And injury. They've been playing sports since they were four and five years old, year round. And the amount of uh, those that come across injuries, um, because they're, they're playing sports, they that they shouldn't be at a certain age or, or doing certain things that they shouldn't be at a certain age. You, you do enough repetitive motion, you know, by the time you enter into high school, you're, you're starting to get injured. And so then they get hurt hmm. and they drop out because they can't keep up anymore. Um, and these, a lot of these kids are dealing with uh, letting their parents down. They're dealing with hmm. missing the mark. They, they're not getting the scholarship or they're playing at a D three school, uh, which, Awesome if you are playing for a D3 school, you have an opportunity to continue playing sports in college. How cool is that? But that's not the pedigree in which many didn't achieve perfection. It was yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a D1 school, it wasn't a power five school. And again, we could we could go through just a whole segment of this, but the point being it is an idol. Uh, youth sports or having kids pursue that, offering your kids as a reasonable sacrifice for a parent's dream of a scholarship or professional sports is absolutely an idol. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you, the offering is made, uh, if it's made, especially on behalf of the education of it. Oh yeah. Uh, 
that in and of itself is a sham system right now, right? Where yes. you're getting universities that are charging 50 grand a year or more student loans or whatever. Like it's this is a system. It's literally like our own version of like a fire god that just burns up our and kids. The same exact conversation could be said about uh, testing, ACT scores, yeah, um, SAT scores. Parents putting their kids through multiple extra tutoring classes, paying the extra money to take the ACT over and over and over again so that they get a perfect score so they get yeah. the scholarship. I've seen that happen many, many times. It's the same exact idea. It's just the sport is education, like yeah. academics. Um, we're, we're sacrificing our kids in a lot of ways so that we maybe have value for ourselves as parents. I don't know what the goal is, like the subliminal underneath yeah. the goal is for us as parents to push our kids in these control. ways. It really does come back to that, that desire for control. Yeah. Controlling the outcome, controlling that my kid's going to be successful now because ultimately it's about my parenting more than them. And if they're successful, then guess what? I'm a good parent. I'm a good parent yeah. and I'm successful. By the way, if you if it rubs you wrong on the on the standardized testing and the ACT and all that stuff, there, Malcolm Gladwell's revisionist history has some excellent episodes about <laughs> yeah. what a racket that whole thing is yeah, for sure for uh, for our students and for our schools right now, even how the schools are, are measured. So the the and here's the at the end of the day when we talk about these things as an idol. It's like, okay, you know, we could become fire and brimstone about it, but it's really not. This is just a, an act of mercy to say it can't bear the weight no. of your need. And so the logical conclusion of me putting my weight, I'm sitting on the stool right now, and it can bear the weight of it because it's a nice metal stool, right? But if I'm sitting on something that can't bear the weight, the, the logical conclusion is I'm going to crush whatever's underneath of it, of me. And uh, crushing our kids, crushing our, our hope, our joy, it all crushes underneath of the weight of that because it can't bear the ultimate weight of what we, our desire for, for worshiping God. And I think like what we are experiencing as parents is that as I shift that weight onto my to God and not onto my kids. There's actually a lot of freedom in that. Yeah, there's a lot of freedom to be a parent where I can, yeah. I can let them have some things and you know and look, but you know, there's some kids that I've got that they, they you know, they think uh, they're, you know, their dad's the fundamentalist Christian. You know, you know, he's not. He's feeding a lot of kids in Haiti, but other than that, he's a fundamentalist Christian. And I would rather that they thought what I thought and believe what I believe right now. But if I put my weight on God and not on them. There's a lot of freedom even in the conversations I can have with them because I'm not trying to close the deal with them to try right. to uh, to save them uh, so that I will look better in front of my friends. Like that's a big weight to put on a kid, um, one that they can't bear, one that they weren't meant to bear. Yeah, and, and back to that whole conversation to kind of sum up. None of the, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. They're not bad. There are so much. There's so many good things that come out of recreational sports, competitive sports, school sports, brotherhood, sisterhood, yeah. discipline, um, you know, just physical, you know, working out and being active. Um, all, there's so many great things that come out of that. But if the, the what we're talking about is the epithumia, the desire yeah. where it becomes an idol and it's something that you chase that determines your value or your children's value, uh, that, is, uh, that is something that just needs to be taken inventory of. Yeah. Because the the descent from that, from he turned them over to their epithumias, um, he then turns them over to shameful lusts, uh, which then ends with uh, the depraved mind, and it's literally a journey 
into a, uh, a addiction. That's why addiction and idolatry are actually two sides of the same coin. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, the original title I was actually going to go for the message was addicted to idols because it's technically uh, what it is. It's like I am getting dopamine fired shots from these things uh, that give me pleasure, whether it's worshiping my kids or whatever. Like I'm, and when it can't bear the weight, then I end up uh, the shameful lusts, right? And it, which is for sure. Uh, you know, bad stuff happening with shameful lusts. I, 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 we work a lot with addiction, and man, I have seen, man, I've seen guys and girls both in, uh, in especially in addiction, the things that they have done to fill their addiction are just, it's sad. Like yeah. it's because it, shameful, it, it means shameful, but it's like, but not in a shame on you kind of way. But man, this is just sad. This is not the way right. it was meant to be. Completely out of bounds. Yeah which then results in the depraved mind, which is not the Hannibal Lecter brain of psychopath, but of, I just am no longer making good decisions anymore because all my neuropathways, this is neuroplasticity. This is all 100%. You know, the Paul didn't have the language of neuroplasticity, but he still used a word in the Greek that could certainly be described as neuroplasticity when it talks about the, the way that your brain is different than it was before. It's rewired. It's not, it looks like a real brain, but it's not like it's the same word they use for like judging coins or gold. Like it's just, it's, it looks like gold, but it's, it's empty inside and empty and devoid of value. And which is why then, you know, uh, that goes on to list these things that, that uh, happen in a depraved mind. You know, the, the idea of greed and wickedness and evil and depravity and envy and murder and strife. Like that's, the prisons in our country are full of that, you know, gossips and slanderers. And he even throws in, they disobey their parents. Like it's, but, but when you have gone down that road, it, it, the thing that we didn't get to cover much, and this is probably a good place to land is uh, there's a difference between the active wrath and the passive wrath of God. And um, the very beginning of this verse 18, he says, and the, the, the wrath of God is being revealed against sinful humanity and the wrath of God um, is is perfect. Like I, I've been imperfectly angry at my kids. Um, when my son was uh, three years old, he learned the f word. Oops. Yeah. Uh, and my wife, when he said it out loud in the kitchen, we both did that thing where we looked at each other and we're like, "Did uh, he just say what we thought?" Hey, Ethan, what did you just say? And he said it again. <laughs> and uh, and then Shannon said these words that are the worst, uh, the, like the most dangerous question: Where did you hear that? So I'm over here going, oh no, oh no, <laughs> hope that don't say dad. And uh, turns out it wasn't. It was his friend Kevin, so that was helpful, or uh, one of the neighbor kids. But uh, so we, we had this little conversation. Hey, little young man, you know, if you say that, so that's a bad word, and we don't do that around here. And so if you do that again, uh, you're gonna you're gonna get a spanking. Okay. Eight hours later, he says uh, he drops the effer. Oh word. wow! Right. Okay. And um, and I'm like, you little turkey, you're just defying me. So, you know, as I'm spanking him, he's screaming, I said effer, not F. I said effer. Those are two different words. Yeah. yeah. And later, I actually <laughs> thought I went back and apologized to him because in my anger, it was imperfect. I should have, he was right. They were two different words. And I should have given, you know, it was like, but my wrath is imperfect, right? But God's wrath. Uh, then later, like about a month later at a stoplight, he pops up to Audrey. Hey, Audrey, did you know that F is a bad word? Audrey's a mutual <laughs> Audrey works on our stuff. So she's like calling me going, Dad, your, your son just dropped the F word in the back of my car. Anyway, my wrath was imperfect, but God's wrath is perfect. 
Um, and so when you look at the Old Testament, there's this what we call the act of wrath of God. It's he swallowed up these people. This uh, this uh, smoke came out of the sky, or what, like the, a lightning struck. That, that, that's the act of wrath. Like God is opening up a can of, of whoop God. Um, the passive wrath of God is he t- like three times or four times in these verses he says he turned them over and yeah. he turned them over and he turned them over. The passive wrath of God is saying to me, uh, if you want this your way, you can have it your way, and this is what it's going to turn out like envy and greed and and we look at those and say those are sins we shouldn't do but those are behaviors that are attached to things that we wouldn't want to do like i don't want to be envious and greedy who wants to be that i want that to be my brand around town but the depraved mind when i've gone down that road strife and you know it's not that each one of us uh checks off all of these on the list but our lives are defined by more of the things on this list than they are defined by the things on the, the fruit of the spirit mm. list, and and and, and the and the world itself right now uh, certainly defined by that envy and murder yeah. and strife and deceit. Whether it's the culture of corruption in Haiti or the culture of corruption in our own country, um, that's where the depraved mind ultimately leads us. And that's when it says, "In God, turn them over." Um, in a weird way, like Haiti's not the only country, but I see Haiti as a country that's a pretty big example of and God turned them over. Mm, um, oh, interesting. Haiti was the first country uh, born of former slaves. That's what their history tells us, but it's actually not true. Hmm. Israel was. Israel was slaves for 400 years yeah. before they became free. And the first thing God did was camp them in the desert and say, Hey, don't have any other gods before me. Uh, don't have sex with your neighbor's wife. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't you know? Don't take their stuff. Like, uh, if you're gonna farm, let the land rest. If you're gonna go to the bathroom, go outside of town and bury it. Like all these things that seem so crazy, but they were uh, people that didn't know how to be free. And so Haiti, on the other hand, uh, born of former slaves, they overthrow their French oppressors and they don't know how to be free. Um, it's an entire culture. The first thing they do is turn over to other gods. Voodoo yeah. is just Catholicism and paganism and witchcraft and, uh, from West Africa all merged into one. And they stripped the land. They, and they're not, it's not their fault. They didn't know. They didn't know how to be free. So, But God turned them over to their desires. They took over this and now their entire country is an example of what happens when you want it your way. Um, and the culture of Haiti, this is something even most of my Haitian friends would agree with, is the culture itself is one of corruption. Their government is, is so corrupt. Like right now, like their former president, Michael Martelly, uh, and even Moise, like they have like bank accounts of like with hundreds of millions of dollars in them. Wow. Okay? They didn't start with hundreds of millions right. of dollars in them. But the, 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 uh, one of the biggest narco trades in the, in the world right now goes right through the middle of, of Haiti. Um, and corruption. Point is, that's the, the logical conclusion of a society as a whole, a culture that turns the culture over to uh, to the desires, to the epithumia of it. But it, a culture isn't a what, a culture is a who. And a culture is the, the majority of whoever is controlling this is now turning it over. And we've in our culture have turned it over. And um, I, I don't know what that means for the future of our country. I know that God always has a remnant and I'm pretty stoked to be a part of that and wonder what that looks like for us. But uh, Romans 1 isn't him just being a buzzkill and trying to ruin our fun. It's him literally having mercy and saying, hey, if you guys go down this road, it ends poorly. 
And we have uh, thousands of years of human history that have shown that it's ended poorly over and over and over again. Yeah, and I, I would say, though, too, that pertaining to Haiti, you know, what's happened with them over the past two weeks, there's some redemption. Yeah, yeah. In, in what I mean by that is um, they had the earthquake and then these floods this past week or so. Um, but this time around, there's Haiti's helping. Oh, yeah. Haitians helping Haitians. So good to say that. Which wasn't necessarily the case in back in 2010, no, to this degree. Right, 2010, after the earthquake, um, I just signed over my uh, country, my company. I like sold my whatever. I was getting ready to be a pastor, and the, the quake happens. But the, the people that we found there uh, 48 hours later, wonderful people, and they're camped out in front of the church. And um, uh, they got little sh- sheets over, you know, because their other houses are destroyed, and, and they're sharing their food. They're actually doing good things. But it didn't occur to anybody to go to the airport for help. It didn't occur. They literally waited for us. And I actually realized, okay, that's a huge uh, failure on our part, um, that Jesus people don't sit and wait, don't sit and wonder. They, we're part of, we're called to like engage in that. That's why we do it as a church. Yeah, go and do. Go and do. It's Acts, the Acts 2 church. They didn't just sit around and wait to die. They fed their widows and orphans. They took care of those who... Uh, who society said it's actually one of the things that the culture was so offended by that they were feeding these poor people like these are disgusting why would you feed them uh, take care of them so but that's what Jesus people do so this time 11 years later our churches in Jacmel uh, which was spared from the quake you know loaded up in trucks mm-hmm. and went as a mission to a uh, trip to Lakai uh, oh cap and um, Jeremy like they're out there busting their butts for 10, that. 12 hours a day, sleeping on the ground at night, and they don't whine. They certainly didn't whine like I would whine. If I'm sleeping on the ground, I'm 50, man. I'm like, ugh. But no, they're out there busting their humps, but that's what uh, what the gospel can do from the inside out of a community, and, and I believe at the inside out of a country itself, uh, that the gospel changes people. Uh, there were nobody from the mosques doing that. You know, right. all due respect to my Muslim friends, I never find Muslims in these disaster areas. Um, it's, they're good people. They love Allah, but that's not part of their context of it. But the gospel demands that of us, that we would pour out our lives. And they are doing that. Yeah, and that's that's discipleship, and that is redemption happening in a place that you didn't think you would find it a decade ago. And it's happening here in, in Williamson County, not in just in Williamson County, but our neighboring counties. We just had a flood come through here. Yeah. And churches are rallying together. Always, um, yeah. yeah. To, to help to help those that are in need out uh, out west. Yeah. We're going to have some opportunities for folks to help. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a semi-truck trailer being dropped off on our at our parking lot. Yeah, depending when you're listening to this, August 31st. August 31st. Tuesday the 31st, 3 to 7 p.m. Yep. You have the opportunity to bring all kinds of goods, um, I guess everything you would think folks would need. Yeah. We're thinking um, long-term kind of stuff, so batteries, uh, c- especially cleaning supplies, honestly. Trash bags. Yeah, like the big, the sturdy trash bags. Yeah. Uh, cleaning supplies, bleach. Um, if you've ever been through a flood, you know 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they need. And, uh, and you know, I'm told John Schneider, uh, this is the Dukes of Hazard guy, uh, is helping organize. He's actually the guy organizing. So John it. Schneider lives here in town. Yeah, yeah. And I'm told he'll be here uh, from three to seven. And so he's putting this relief effort together. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Ten year old Darren is kind of on fire right now. Like, I'm super <laughs> hype about this. Like, I think it's kids say that, Micah, super hype about. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It's like, you know, hype about John Schneider. Uh, and then the other thing is, um, we're putting together backpacks of school supplies, but that has to be here by this Sunday, August 29th. Yeah. Uh, for kids over there. And as a kid that grew up in a, in a very poor situation, uh, it might seem like not a lot, but if you just lost everything in a flood and then someone shows up and your book bag is now replaced, uh, your backpack with all the school supplies for kids. So everything you would think you would need in a... In fact, if you've got kids in your own school, just whatever your list was for that kid, put it in a backpack and bring it to the church by or before Sunday. Yeah. So a couple different ways that you can serve um, as we help our, our neighbors um, that, that were just kind of ravaged by, a, by 17 inches of rain on Saturday. And so we're, we're helping our community in that way. And, uh, and that'll be we'll, we'll post those things online. You can find those um, on our Instagram and on our website as well. And then one final note, kind of a show note. And this is my last podcast. For the next four weeks. For four weeks, yeah. Not last. Like, you're not quitting. <laughs> you better not quit. That would hurt my heart. For the next four weeks, yeah. uh, I will not be behind the mic, but you're going to have um, several several guests to fill in over the next few weeks. I'm graciously, graciously, the um, the church elders and board have uh, granted a, a month sabbatical, a month away, uh, to clear my head and clear my heart. And I'm really thankful and grateful for that yeah. opportunity. Yeah, they came out of a, we came out of a very, the local church here came out of a really busy uh, season. And Mo uh, was at the, the, the tip of the spear for that. And uh, long days and longer nights, uh, long months uh, and longer years. But uh, it was just a good time to give him a chance to. Uh, the thing about sabbatical that I don't think people fully appreciate, because we, we both came from the marketplace. We both had jobs. And I remember thinking, well, I, I never got a month off. Like I never like why <laughs> sure. does it? But the one thing that is interesting that in the pastor role that's different than what I did before was that the 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 product that you have is actually mental equity. Like it's mental uh, gymnastics. Like it's work. Like your mind. And so being able to get a chance to replenish your heart, your soul, and your mind uh, is something that is important for that to, to refill it. And so yeah, we uh, Mo gets the month off. Um, with it. So Micah and I'll be holding down the fort. We'll have some special guests. Uh, Michael Easley will be here. Um, uh, a couple others that I can't remember right off the top of my head, but they'll be here uh, uh, over these next few weeks. So uh, are you going to listen? Of course. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's the wrong answer because you're supposed to be <laughs> off the grid. For I the- know, right? This is going to be a challenge for me. So you can be praying uh, that I do just that, is that just kind of completely unplug and, and unwind and and disengage uh, for a minute so that I can come back completely refreshed and hit the ground running in October. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like if you listen to us, it'll trigger you. You'll be thinking about work. You know, <laughs> start, you, I want to text you about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you mean by that? Why do you use that word, Darren? But yeah, you can listen to Church of the City. They got a great little Yeah, they're like great. If you need any more information about anything Conduit related, you can always find it at our website, conduitchurch.com. And thank you for listening.